the seats in the back of cop cars are not comfortable at all. They don't have cushions or leather or any like realm of anything that you would want to ever sit on. Uh, I can remember this, this uh, night like it was yesterday. Pieces are foggy, but most of it I can remember. Uh, you ever drove, dri- driven down like a place in, you know, North Anthony Boulevard is where I was and driven down that road plenty of times, but when you're in the back of a cop car, everything looks different. Everything looks different. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, when, when this happened, going and, and got, got pulled over and put into a cop car, I, I started thinking, you know, what you would probably think, like, when, when, you're, when, you're, when you're younger, like, what was my dad going to say? You know, what's my mom going to say? Uh, this, is, this is interesting. And uh, we, we drove down North Anthony Boulevard, and uh, I did not get taken to jail uh, but I got taken to my dad's house. And uh, I, was, I was driving with my stepmom at the time, and, and she had a warrant out for her arrest and got pulled over, and she was the one who got arrested. And this brings up a good point. Why you are where you are matters, because y'all were worried. <laughs> Why you are where you are matters. Uh, And that brings up this question that we're going to look at today, Life's Big Questions, week two. Why am I here? You ever ask those questions? You ever been in a place and situation where you're like, how did I get here? (laughs) Guys, you get lost. You don't want to ask the question, why am I here? How did I get here? You don't want to ask. No, no, we're fine. Keep driving. (laughs) Eventually, we give up and we ask the question, why am I here? But, you know, we don't always just ask that question when we're in places that are unfamiliar to us. We don't always ask that question only when we're in the back of a cop car. Uh, We ask that question about life in general. Why am I here? And and we've been asking that question ever since the beginning of time, ever since the beginning of creation. And and you may have asked this question to yourself. Maybe you didn't ask it that way. Here are some other ways you might have asked that question. Uh, You know, what is the meaning of life? You maybe asked that question what it's all about, who are we, why are we here, what are we here for, what is this, uh, what, is, what is the nature of life, what is the nature of reality, you ever gotten to that point, <laughs> what is the nature of reality, is this a thing, is this for real, uh, what is the purpose of life, what is the purpose of my life, what, what is the reason, what's the significance of life, what's meaningful and valuable in life, what's the, what's the value of life itself, What is the reason to live? What are we living for? Maybe you've asked some kind of version of those questions before. And and really when we ask that question, when we're talking about meaning, we're we're asking a question that has two kind of parts to it. Meaning has two parts. One is purpose. uh, That that we ask the question like, we, we wonder, is our life, did it have kind of intention behind it? Do we have some kind of reason for us to live? Is there some kind of purpose for us to do? And also, meaning comes out in significance. We, we want to know that our life isn't just our life, that we're a part of something bigger, that we are signs that point to something beyond ourselves. That's why we wonder what really is. That we look at our lives in the here and now, we, we think like this is just, this probably isn't the only thing that there is. Three-fourths of the world, the, of the world's population, seven billion plus people, think about that kind of question in some way, shape, or form. What, 
why are we here? Why am I here? And, and as you can imagine, with that many people asking that question, we've got all sorts of answers on the table here. So I want to give you some just ideas of how people have, have just wrestled with that question, because that's a wrestling question. It's a question that is hard to answer. And so here's some options. Uh, maybe some of these make sense to you. The meaning of life is to live your truth, to live your truth. You, you've got a truth, and you live it out. What is, what's true to you? It may not be true for me, but it's true to me. It's, it may not be true for you, but it's true to me. I'm going to live that truth out. Another one is to live your dreams. To live your dreams. Here, here's the thing. If you want to write a self-help book, here's your chapters that you can cover, okay? Got it right here. It's a, it's a recipe. Uh, so get your pens out. Uh, you can become a bestseller and stuff. It'd be great. Uh, here, here's the thing. You, to live your dreams, here's what you got to do. You got to consider your dreams first. Consider them uh, second, you got to clarify your values. What's important to you? What's important? Uh, then you got to set some goals. You got a goal in mind. You got to know where you're rowing the boat. The next thing is you got to figure out what you're good at. Okay? Figure out what you're good at. Think about it. Ask people. Figure out what you're good at. Aim high because, you know, who wants to aim low? It's not exciting. Uh, go for it because, you know, a dream's only a dream. It becomes reality only if you go for it. Uh, be disciplined. It's going to take discipline to get there. Believe you can achieve your goals. Believe it. Involve others and never give up. That's how you get the meaning of life. That's how you live out your dreams. You got to do that recipe. Uh, other people would say the meaning of life is to achieve biological perfection. They would not say it that way. Uh, but the, the point is that the meaning of life is to live, to keep living. Because this is all that there is. Uh, scientists are working on uh, ways for us to download our brains, download what, uh, what, what is in there into a computer so that we can live beyond when we die. Because the point is to live, to keep perpetually living. Uh, you can look that up for real. I'm not kidding. The meaning of life is to seek wisdom and knowledge. That's another option. As long as you can get enough wisdom, get enough knowledge, then you're living out your meaning. You're living out your purpose. The meaning of life is to do good, uh, or as some would say, life or human existence has no real meaning or purpose because human existence occurred out of a random chance in nature and anything that exists by chance has no intended purpose. Life has no meaning. But as humans, we try to associate a meaning or purpose so we can justify our existence. Uh, and if all this talk about the meaning of life gets you down and gets you frustrated, then join David Seaman in saying this, the meaning of life is to forget about the search for the meaning of life. Just forget it. Just live, don't think about it. Or go with the American dream as it has evolved over time, you know, a version of work, retire, get a hobby, and then live after you're retired. Or feel free to look inside yourself. Your meaning is what you decide it is. You just gotta look inside. It's hidden there. The meaning of life is that this is all an illusion, some would say. That this really isn't real. It's just an illusion, and some would even say that the meaning of life is to keep doing this life over and over again, reincarnation, until you get it right. But you may not ever. So what is the meaning of life? What, why are we here? There's all kinds of options, and, and really all of them are describing some version of either you create your own meaning, it's subjective and you create it, or it's an objective meaning that you discover, so you either create it or you discover this meaning and what's out there on why you exist. And, but there's another answer to the question, why am I here? And this is the question that we're going to evaluate because as we talked about last week, if you were here with us, we asked the question, where did I come from? 
And we, we, we said that, at least I said it. I mean, I don't know if y'all said it, but I said it. Uh, so hopefully it was from God too. Uh, that would help. Um, but that the way we answer that question, where did I come from? It impacts the way we answer the rest of these questions. So if, if we came from God and we're for God and to God and this is, this is all about him, then I think he would be the perfect person, the perfect one to answer the question, why am I here? So we're going we're gonna to dive in. So uh, I've been, <laughs> these, these existential questions are very uh, uh, heady. <laughs> uh, and so my, my, head, my brain's been hurting over this week. So uh, strap on your seatbelt and, and get excited because our brains are going to hurt. And it's going to be amazing. We're going to do it together. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not excited for that, Brandon. <laughs> Ready to mow my grass. <laughs> Lunch. Can we get to the... Carry in. Let's do that. <laughs> Isaiah 43. That's going to be the payoff for you. Isaiah 43, verse 6. This is what Scripture said. We're going to be jumping around to some different passages, so feel free to write these down. Uh, Isaiah 43, verse 6 says this. I will say to the north, this is God speaking through Isaiah. I will say to the north, north uh, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. And this is who these sons and daughters are. Everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory, I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. So in the midst of God giving the Israelites a promise that, hey, you're gonna be scattered, but I'm gonna bring you back. Uh, And in Ephesians 2, we see that there is a promise that this new thing that God is gonna do involves both Jews and Gentiles. So the, the thing that is true for the Jews here is also true for us through Jesus in the church, okay? So, so what he's saying is, verse seven, he drops a truth bomb here. Uh, so he says, everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory. Everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory. Here, here's where scripture lands just starting out. Your life is not about you. It's not yours. You don't own it. You don't have any right to it. It's a gift and he owns it. You were created with a purpose in mind. You were created to give him glory. Now, glory is not a word that we usually like use in everyday conversation. Uh, but Uh, So I'll give you a little bit of an illustration. John Piper uh, used this and I thought it was helpful. So uh, glorify is like magnify. It's kind of like that. And he said that there's two ways to magnify something. You either magnify something with a a microscope and, and what you do is you make something that is small become big. Or you can use a telescope and magnify something that way. Something that is big, but usually far away but you magnify it so that it brings in from your perspective, it's actual size or closer to it. So you either magnify God through a microscope. And sometimes that's what we do. We, we look at God and like, oh God, like I'm so glad that you're a part of my life. I'm supposed to glorify you. So as long as I glorify you, you'll be big. As long as I glorify you, people will see your glory and your power and your might. And we, we think about God, like we'll think about God when we want something from him, but never uh, any other time. Or we could glorify him and magnify him like a telescope where we say, God, you are mighty and amazing and powerful and big. And I'm just going to show people a better picture of who you really are. You are magnifying the true nature of the size and scope of who God is. That's what, what it means to glorify God. It's to magnify him, to tell people of his greatness, of his glory, of his might, and of his power. 
but if you think about this, go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the beginning of the world. We're not going to, we're not going to like really read that, but we're going to refer to it. Um, we, we talked about last week how God started to create things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and he, he was he was painting on this canvas and as he's painting all these things, as he's creating all these things, he's saying it's good, it's good, it's good. But then he got to a point where he went from good to great, just like Jim Collins in his book. Some of y'all get that. Uh, no, okay, all right, never mind. He went from good to great. He said, I'm gonna make someone, I'm gonna make some people in my image. I'm gonna do something that's very good. And he created Adam and Eve, human beings, to express his glory to everyone else around them. But we know what happened. If you grew up in church, you're familiar with the story of Genesis 3. Uh, Adam and Eve sinned. They did the one thing that God told them not to do. That's what they did. And when sin came in, there was a chasm. There was a separation that happened. And from Genesis 1-2, we see that Adam and Eve were walking with God. They were knowing God. They were with God. And they were enjoying just the fellowship of heaven and earth coming together. And that's what Eden was. They, they could walk with him. They could talk to him. But then when sin came in, what did they do? They hid from him. And then they were excommunicated from Eden. And ever since then, there has been a storyline of, of God working to undo what was done in Eden. So he doesn't leave us where we are. Uh, and, and that's good news. So in Jeremiah, uh, 600 years before Jesus was born, Jeremiah tells of this prophecy in chapter 31. And he tells us what God is up to in chapter 31 of Jeremiah, in verse 33, it says this, Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. He's saying, I'm going to do something new. The way we've been interacting before, we're going to do something new. Israel, after those days, the Lord's declaration, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. So we're starting to see a pattern here that we were created. Why am I here? I'm here for God's glory and for me to know him. I can't give him glory unless I know him. The intention from the beginning was that you and I would know God. Think about this, parents, You've got, you've got kiddos, uh, kids, young people. You've got parents. Uh, you know, sometimes they'll do, they'll do something. They'll put something in your life that you don't really want. But it's, they do that because they want what's best for you. Parents, can I get an amen? And sometimes it's not what you want. But sometimes they know what you need. And sometimes God gives us what we need. What we want is everything this world has to offer, but what he knows is that what we need, the best thing for us is him. He wants to give himself to us, for us to know him and to be able to give him glory. That, that's, that when we think about the why of the world, the why of our existence, it's for us to be able to be with God, not just serve God, not just follow God's rules, but for us to know him, for us to be with him. 
the, the, the story continues to go throughout scripture in, in Romans chapter 11. And Paul basically brings the question we asked last week and the question we're asking this week together. Where did I come from and why am I here? He brings them together. In verse 36, he says this of chapter 11 of Romans. He says this, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory, there's that word again, forever, amen. And so with that in mind, therefore, this is what he says, this is what we ought to do in light of that truth, in light of that theological truth. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, that's a good view, y'all. That's a good view. That's the best view you can ever see. The best mountaintop experience you've ever had is not comparable to the mercies of God. In view of that, when we see that, I urge you, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. This is your true worship. I think what Paul is getting at here is that as human beings, we are much better means than we are ends. We're much better means than we are ends. In other words, when we are uh, elevating ourselves when we are all about what is in it for me, what makes me happy, what do I want, how do I want, when do I want it, when we go to God and say, God, please do this, do that, and you never just go to be with him, when we are all consumed about our own goals, our own achievements, what's in it for me, not what's in it for anyone else, but what's in it for me, then we are elevating ourselves to be ends. And what God is saying, I think, all throughout scripture is that we were created from the beginning to be means. That's why selfishness is ugly. That's why selfishness is ugly. When we elevate ourselves and we're all in it for ourselves, you've seen this to be true. You've seen parents who are all in it for themselves. They do not, they do not actively love their kids. They do not sacrifice for their kids. That's why selfishness is ugly is because we were designed to be means towards some other end. And that other end is glorifying God. We are to be instruments of worship. We are not to be the objects of worship. And too oftentimes we live our lives as if this is all about me, that everything else, people are supposed to serve me, elevate me, I'm supposed to have more power, more influence. And yet what God is saying is that we are meant to be means rather than ends. Because too oftentimes we elevate our goals above everything else, and we have God as an afterthought. But how do we do that? So the, the question is, how do we do that? What, what does that mean? Do we try harder? Do we just, just really you know, give, it a, give it our best shot and, and, and just hope for the best? Do we, do we really just focus on doing what God has called us to do? Do we, do we really just, do we just gotta try harder and just, mm. well, God, God's got something to say. First Corinthians chapter six, Verse 19 says this, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. 
Glorify God with your body. I think scripture is clear. The meaning of life is to glorify, know, and worship God the Father through, the, through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it takes God to do what we are called to do. Without Jesus, we cannot live out our why ever at all. Without the power of God manifesting our lives, we cannot do this at all. You see, th- this, is, this is so <laughs> life-changing we, we don't really get the, the effect of this because we're not Jewish. A lot of us, I'm assuming most of us are not Jewish. And so uh, especially Jews who were living in this time, they would have had a narrative in mind when, when they talked about the temple. So, so God rose, raised up Moses, right? He, he met Moses as a burning bush and, and Moses uh, starts to argue with God because God said, hey, I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to release from captivity all my people. And Moses is like, hey, God, no, 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 no. No, I can't do that. I'm a, I'm a stutterer. I can't do that. I can't go and talk to the king. No, 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 I can't do that. And so he starts arguing with God. It's not a good idea, by the way, uh, because Moses ended up going to Pharaoh and eventually God's people were let go and, and they left Egypt and they were wandering in the wilderness now and, and God decided to have them build a tabernacle and, and his presence was going to be with them. He was going to be with them. But as, as, as it continues, uh, the Holy of Holies, this is a place for the high priest as Jews. The high priest is the one person at one time, once a year, who could go and enter into this place, this room called the Holy of Holies. And what the high priest would do, they had to do all these different rituals to get ready to go in there. And they would tie a rope around their waist before they would enter in. And they would have their rope outside of that room so that anyone who was out there, the other priests, could pull him back in if he ended up being smitten and dead. Because going into the presence of God is not some flippant thing. It was not something you just took lightly. One wrong move and you were gone. When when Isaiah had an encounter with God, he was in God's presence. He says, woe is me for I am unclean. I have unclean lips. I, I am a sinner. I should not be here. I should not be in your presence, God. For I, I, cannot, I cannot do it. I, I'm not supposed to be here. And for us on this side of Jesus, we, we, we forget the holiness and the power of God in that sense when we go into his presence. But, but for them, like to go into the Holy Holies, they might have to pull their high priest out of the room. But now because of Jesus, he's done something new. He's done something brand new. He said, I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna create a new covenant where I can know you and you can know me because that's my goal. That was the purpose. That's your why in life is to know God, to know him more than you know him now, to know him deeper than you know him now, not to do all the things for him, but you flow from knowing him to serving him and worshiping him because you know him, because you can glorify him, because you know him. And and, and he's saying, "I, I created you to know me, to know me in a real way, That's why selfishness is ugly because we oftentimes live for ourselves. So young people, people who are a little bit more seasoned in this thing called life, all of us, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Don't buy into the lie that you can find purpose apart from Jesus. 
You cannot. You cannot live out your why apart from him. He's the only way that you can worship God, glorify God, and know God. It's only through him. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, that you can know and worship and glorify God. It's only through God that you can do what God has designed you to do. Don't buy into the lie that you can find meaning in your life by looking within yourself, by living your truth, writing your destiny, and chasing your dreams. I don't know about you, but when, when I came into a, an awareness of the depth and the, and the destructiveness and the ugliness of my sin, I did not want to look inside myself anymore because that is an ugly picture. I know that anybody annoy yourselves. I annoy myself. I, I can't. I am a terrible master. I am a terrible end. I'm a terrible God. I'm a terrible goal. And you are too. And you are too. So we cannot just look inside of ourselves and live our truth as if that's something we get to create and act as if that is our why. We are designed to live out something different. Don't buy into the lie that this version of the American dream that you're believing is the reason you exist. It's not. There's something much more for you that God wants for you. Your best life is lived when you come to the end of yourself and you realize an important truth that we are better means than we are ends. God created us for his glory. He created us to be instruments of worship, to create to be spotlight shining on him. We don't get the spotlight. We just shine it toward him. We were created to know him and love him and honor him, but what we tend to do is diminish God, ignore God, and elevate ourselves. That's where we, that's where we gravitate toward. That's why it's, it's all dependent on his power for us to know him, to elevate him. We tend to make ourselves into the ends of life. In other words, we make our own pleasure and our own glory the goal, but we are terrible ends. Here's the thing, like uh, the Western culture has elevated individualism and, and it's resulted in some good things uh, because no longer is the, is the group the highest means, like you can just harm individuals because of the group, it's better for the group. Well, we, we've, we've elevated individual human rights because every human has value. That's good stuff. But when we take individualism to where it is now, we elevate ourselves and guess what? We enslave ourselves when we buy into that that we have what's best in mind for us. We don't, we don't. We were created for his glory, not our own. We were created for his goals, not our own. We were created to give him all the honor, not ourselves, not seeking it for ourselves. I, I love the fact that from Genesis three, there was a story that started there that human beings were without hope, separated from God, no longer able to be in his presence. I'm so thankful that he flipped the script of that story. Because watch this, this is, this, is so, this is so cool. James 4, 8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The only reason why we're able to have clean hands, the only reason why we're able to have pure hearts and to cleanse us from that, the only reason that is because we now are able to draw near to the God who we were always meant to know. And aren't you so glad that you who you used to be is not the you who you are now? Did you do it? Do you get credit? I know I don't for my own life. Any kind of change you've experienced, any kind of transformation you've experienced, it's all because he got a hold of you and did something new in you that you would never be able to do in yourself. 
Aren't you so glad? I, church, I don't know if you are. Aren't you so glad that Jesus came and, and bridged the gap that was between you and God now that you can be with God? Why are you here? You're here to know him, to glorify him, to love him. Church, are you, are you glad for that? Thank you. That's where you respond. Good, good. Humanity went from being with God and knowing him to hold, hiding from God. And now through Jesus, we can draw near to him and he will draw near to us. We went from hiding to being with him in confidence, not needing to strap a rope around our waist to go into his presence. We can come fully in confidence in the throne room of God because Jesus has allowed us to be in him and he is in us. And what that means is that we get to enter into the throne room of God with the confidence of the son, with the confidence of the son. You can know him. Amy Aylon, I'm not sure if that's how you say her name. It's probably not. But anyway, she said this. When a captain is without direction, no wind on earth will take him there. When a captain is without direction, no wind on earth will take him there. My question is that I have had to wrestle with my, my, my own world today, this week, is am I the captain? Am I trying to be the captain of this ship? Am I trying to be in charge? Am I trying to say, this is the direction we need to go? Because when I do that, I don't know about you, but I end up just wandering, just floating in the sea of life. I just kind of aimlessly existing. Is that where you are? Or are you, do you have your, your, your sails full of air going to where God wants you to go because you are not the captain you've allowed. You've asked the Holy Spirit to say, hey, take me where you want me to go because I'm all in this for you. I'm an instrument of worship. Have you gotten to the end of yourself? We will be so much freer when we can get to the end of our own selves, our own uh, desires, our own expectations. The reason why we are upset with God is because he's not meeting our expectations. I think it's time that we all let go of the reins and say, Jesus, just take over. I'm here to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you. I'm not here to do it all. I'm here to just let you do it all. I'm here to be a part of this. I'm here to know you. I just wanna be with you, God. Have you gotten to the point where you've reached the end of yourself and you said, I'm tired of trying to please my own desires? Have you gotten to the point where you realize that the best life you can live is the life where you are fully surrendered to him? Have you gotten to that point where you said, hey, wherever you want, whatever you want, I, whatever. I'm in for it. I'm up for it. Like what, some of the things practically we can do, if we, wanna, if we wanna have our lives be surrendered to him, we're, we're called to magnify him to the world. Church, there, there is a watching world that's wondering if Jesus is real. And you know how they're gonna know that he's real? Is by us Loving each other. Jesus said, people will know you are my disciples. They will know that you've been with me by the way you love one another. That is an act of worship. Every time we let go of ourselves and give ourselves to someone else, that's an act of worship in the name of Jesus. He's called us to love one another, to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens, to serve one another. And so like if, if you've been going through this life and you're kind of like, I'm not sure if I'm really in my why. I'm not sure if I'm really living out the meaning that God wants for me, the purpose that God has for me. It's because it might be because you're not serving someone. 
Like there's all kinds of opportunities to get plugged in to FCC and serve someone on a ministry team, to be a part of what God's doing. You will never be able to be satisfied with your life until you are letting your life be an instrument of worship through serving someone else, through loving someone else. Church, there's a watching world's wondering. Does that church care? Is God at work in them? Or are they just worried about arguing? Are they worried about what's in it for them? What I know is that God has given us a mission to go out and magnify his glory, his amazing love, his amazing grace to a world that needs it, that needs it. And so our act of worship is to come into his presence and be changed because we know him. The reality is we cannot live out our why without knowing him, without walking with Jesus. Our why is the way, the way, the truth, and the life. That's our why. Why am I here? It's to live for him. He'll give us purpose. He's given us an intention to be here. And he wants us to be a people of significance, a people who are a sign that point others to him. That's what we're called to do. And wouldn't it be an amazing picture when the church, when you and me decided, God, you've got it all. You've got the keys. You've got the wheel. I'm in the passenger seat. At moments, I might be like, hey, we need to go this way. But then we realize he's got it. He's got it. He knows where he's going. Just trust him. And it's up to us to be the means of glorifying him. So church, would you stand? We're gonna pray and we're gonna, as an act of worship, be instruments of worship. You may not like your voice. You may not like how it sounds, but I know who does. He does. God does. I don't like how I sound. I wish I sounded better because I love to sing. <laughs> but if I sang right now, y'all would. But we are called to be instruments of worship. So let's just, Go to him in prayer. And then I want to hear everyone. Not because I want you to sing, but he wants you to sing to him. Let go of yourself. Let go of what your neighbor is going to think when they hear you sing. It's all good. They don't sound that great either. Let's pray, church.